Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg ad-free and right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie. And we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial it's time for peter greenberg worldwide with america's number one travel news journalist and now the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year your travel detective peter greenberg Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here, and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London. You just never know. This week we come to you from Hong Kong at the Intercontinental Hotel. As you know, we've broadcast this show from numbers of world capitals. Usually it's some very interesting times, like Tahrir Square in Egypt, in Cairo, and of course, right in the middle of the Umbrella Revolution, if they will call it that, or the Umbrella Movement. Uh, here in Hong Kong. Joining me now was someone who did the show with us the last time we were in Hong Kong uh, uh, from Time Magazine, Liam Fitzpatrick. Liam, the cover story in Time Asia is... Well, it was very much a revolution as far yeah. as, as we, we were concerned. It's, uh, uh, you know, we, uh, we debated a lot about what, what word to call it, but, but in the end we had to conclude that it was. It, was, it, was a, it represented a political sea change, I think, for this, for this city. I mean, I was here... I mean, I've been coming to Hong Kong since 1975. I was here in 97 on the roof of this hotel, when it was then called the Four Seasons, yes. watching the handover right. in a pouring rainstorm. It was called the Regent. It, no, actually it was the Four Seasons then. It was originally the Regent, then it became the Four Seasons. I stand corrected. Now, uh, you are corrected. I stand yes. corrected. And now it's the Intercontinental, but then it was, it was the Four Seasons. And standing on the roof watching that in a pouring rainstorm, yeah, yeah. as the, the British flag was lowered, the Britannia sailed out of the harbor with Chris Patton, then the governor, right. and, and Prince Charles, and the joke, of course, is that it was sailing back to England. The Britannia could barely make it to Macau. Of course. And uh, that was the end of that. But, yeah. of course, prior to 97, there was, a, there was a, such a flight out of Hong Kong of people thinking, okay, the Chinese are going to come in. All human rights are going to end. Uh, there was a huge brain drain. People were setting up shop in Vancouver and Toronto right. and the yes, U.S. Yes, that's right. Uh, but since 97, people have come back. And, and then 
all of a sudden, what do we have? A pro-democracy revolution, a movement, if you will, because of the fears of the authoritarian rule, if you will, of the, of the mainland Chinese government. Yes, that's right. I think, I think what happened after reunification is that a lot of people assumed that Hong Kong would sort of slowly be absorbed into the hinterland and that, that we would become more Chinese. In fact, the opposite has happened. That the longer, the, 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 the more time has elapsed, the more we in Hong Kong realize that actually we're incredibly different from people in the mainland. Well, you were, we're set up different from, from the mainland. Well, you were set up as an SAR, right? You were That's set up right. as a special administrative region precisely because I think the mainland Chinese knew it. They always used Hong Kong as the double standard. Yes. Before 97, it was sort of like, oh, you know, we are you know, full-fledged communist Chinese, and yet Hong Kong existed as the capitalistic center of Asia. That's right. I mean, I do, I do have sympathy with Beijing's view to some extent. I mean, this is, you know, Hong Kong is a sort of the, the, the jewel in the, in, the, in the Chinese crown, and it cannot be seen to go wrong. Uh, uh, and, and what has happened here that has alarmed Beijing is there has been very much a burgeoning democracy movement, uh, uh, and, and it, is, it has sort of you know, become more politically experienced, it's become more organized, and, and, and a part of the result of that is, is, you see, this is the natural consequence of taking our young people and putting them through something like a Western education in terms of civic responsibility, in terms of society, in terms of sort of social sciences, political sciences. These things are all studied freely here. So naturally, when, when these generations graduate, what, and do they they, ask questions. what do they look for? They look for actual democracy and not some kind of oligarchical interpretation of democracy, which is what Beijing is comfortable with us having. On their terms? Yes. So where do we go uh, from here? Well, <laughs> uh, you know, I. I, I think one of the reasons why this is a revolution is that it really, or it, let, let me call it the opening salvo in, in a revolution, if you like. I, I think some of the ideas that have now been uh, uh, put forward are, are not going to go away. And, and, you know, very prominent in Umbrella Square, as it was called uh, during the revolution, were, were, were mainland Chinese students uh, who, who have come here, who have seen this, who have experienced it firsthand. And, and you know these 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 aren't these ideas aren't, aren't going to fade from their minds. You know it's interesting because when you had the Facebook revolution in Cairo, which ended up with you know all the protests in Tahrir Square and Mubarak then leaving, um, we were there, and so many of my friends would say to me, "What are you nuts? Why are you going there? Be careful! You'll get killed." Well, it really didn't happen. Uh, I mean, there were some injuries, uh, there were some deaths of Egyptians, right. uh, Egyptians against Egyptians, sure. um, and it killed their tourism industry, Yes, it's, which by the way is still decimated. Yes. Uh, yes, and, yes. The, and the question that I ask there as well as now is, what better time to go to Egypt than right now? Because you'll own it. Um, right. Did what was happening here with the Umbrella Revolution discourage tourism or did it actually um, Oh, no, no. It became, I mean, um, Umbrella Square was yeah. a tourist attraction. In its That's what I'm right. saying. It became, I mean, right. You know, the, 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 I think your average, yeah. sorry, you're, yeah, I think your average Hong Kong protester is young, sober, decent, and peaceful, yeah. basically. And, and, and it, was, it, was, it was, I mean, whether you were a tourist or a Hong Konger, to walk through Umbrella Square, this, this tent city with, with thousands and thousands of tents and, and young people who had self-organized themselves 
into a functioning community that had its own recycling, waste disposal, it had study areas, it had supply tents, it had first aid stations. All of this was self-organized. It became an attraction. It became an attraction uh, for, for everybody. And it was, it was kind of a moving experience to go there. I will tell you a funny story that was shared with me by one of my producers that at a dinner the other night, she was asking one of the other journalists, you know, what was it like, you know, during the height of it? And did it impact business? Because the natural reaction would say, oh my God, people fled. They didn't come in. Just the opposite. He went into a, a, a drugstore uh, right near there and asked the owner, you know, uh, and this is a drugstore that sold everything from, you know, soft drinks to, a, you know, how's businesses? Business has never been better. Mm -hmm. He said, really? He says, and you're not going to believe what my biggest selling item is. Mm. Are you ready? <laughs> Condoms. Condoms. <laughs> <laughs> I guess there I mean, was, I there guess was, it was level of the picket lines, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think certainly for a lot of, I mean, joking quite seriously, for a lot of the young people that were in Umbrella Square. It was a club scene. Uh, that might have represented their first night out of their parental home. Really? So, so sure. I mean, when you get young people together. Well, well that's <laughs> true. So many, so many young kids in, in trying to live at home with their parents. Right. So, I mean, but I, I think a lot of business, you know, very famously, there's a McDonald's right on the square, and that benefit, I don't think that, sh that, 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 that McDonald's shut for sort of 80 days. I mean, it was constantly just cranking out the burgers and the fries, and, and you know, so, so much revolutionary activity was plotted in that McDonald's, you know. So why would you just call it the Big Mac Revolution? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Well, where to now? Because uh, I was out at, at, at the right. tent city, or, or what's left of it. It's right. It's still there. It's th there's like I think 150, 160 tents there now, yeah. and but that is a very pale rump of what was there. I mean, you have to envisage that entire that area for several city blocks completely pedestrianized, and you know with with no traffic going through and, and occupied by people. So what's what's happening now is that the government is in the process of of introducing a political reform package that uh, will will. Uh, will not, uh, has no chance of being accepted by, by a democratic-minded Hong Kongers. Um, so they're, they're... And then it'll start again. They will kick off another protest season now, and uh, the first key I, lo I, I love the idea that you call it a season. Oh, it's definitely a season. No, it's definitely a season, because the, 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 the every June 4, Hong Kong becomes the only Chinese community in the world that commemorates the massacre that took place in 1989 Tiananmen in Tiananmen in Beijing of workers and students. So this becomes the only Chinese city that, that will commemorate it. And, uh, <coughs> and, and that anniversary is used as an excuse to kick off all kinds of other related protests. And, and so then basically, June 4th is opening day. It's opening at, day. At Wrigley Field. Right, <laughs> it is exactly that. Yeah. And then on July 1, July 1 is the anniversary of the founding of the Hong Kong Special Administrative Region, but it is also used as a, as a major day of protest. So, But for some people, and, and in all seriousness, and we're talking with Liam Fitzpatrick from Time Magazine, in all seriousness, you would have no hesitation telling your friends to come here. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, during, you know, at the, the height of the violence, I suppose, uh, that, you know, there was tear gas, there were police baton charges. But I mean, let's be honest, this isn't Ferguson. I mean, this, this, this is not South Africa. This is, you know, I, I, yeah, th there were some cuts and bruises. I don't think there was anything particularly. I mean, I would venture to guess that, that in a community that is so dependent on travel and tourism, as is, by the way, Egypt, you run the risk of really blowing it if you overreact. I, I think so, but also, you know, I guess from people, people from around the world who haven't been here don't know how sort of slim and neat and slight our police officers are. 
They're all kind <laughs> of really young, polite Cantonese men who, who really, you know... Probably their first <laughs> experience with tear gas as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's, it, the students and the police are sort of very much like each other. So at the end of the day, they go out drinking? Well, I, or something like that. <laughs> it's some ideal world, maybe. We're talking with Liam Fitzpatrick from Time Magazine. Liam, when we come back, on a much lighter note, I want to talk to you like we did the last time I was here, about where you go and hang out. Sure. It's not in the brochure, not in the guidebook. Okay. We'll be back with more of Peter Greenberg Worldwide from the Intercontinental in Hong Kong right after this. We've been talking with Liam Fitzpatrick, Time Magazine's man in Hong Kong. Hey. Hey, hey. <laughs> Well, listen, let's move on from the Umbrella Movement, the Umbrella Revolution, to the Liam Revolution. You've been here how long? I'm born and raised. I know. Yes. So you know, you're, you, you are the local. Yes, yes. yes. I'm so Kowloon boy through and through. I know. And as we talked about... When we Not even a Hong Kong boy. Kowloon boy through and through. Really? You never went over to the island? K-side. No, K-side. <laughs> well, when we, when we talked last year, you know, you told me, like, where you hung out, right? right? That's not in the guidebooks. Right. That's not in the brochures. Any new candidates? You know, I, I, you know, thinking about that, the thing I've been doing the most of recently is, is pretty much in any district of Hong Kong, there is a, something that, that called a cooked food center. And this was an initiative to sort of get all the hawkers off the streets and put them in one municipal Which I, which I missed, by the way. Right. Uh, no, it, but, but you know, they, they, they've, they've got another life in these places called cooked food centers. And you can go there and kind of all together in one floor, there'll be... There'll be these food vendors, and you, you, you can get a meal there for just something absolutely ridiculous, you know, like five U.S. dollars or something. And you can get beer, and you can get wine, and you drink your beer out of bowls. And there's just so much atmosphere. And I've been going to these places a lot as a kind of local pride thing because, you know, it's... I started to have this backlash in my mind against, against you know, vodka bars and, uh, and, and, and the kinds of restaurants that you see a lot in downtown Hong Kong so now. You, you talk about the backlash against Lang Kwai Fong. Yeah, yeah. Like there's a, there's a lot of you know, it's it's the number of restaurants that started representing Chinese street food, as a kind of like like on slate plates, as a kind of overpriced little kind of amuse, whatever it is. You know that yeah. that kind of started to get to me, and I kind of just thought there's just so much excellent eating and drinking culture that lies outside. Uh, which you grew up with. Which I grew up with. Like, so I've been kind of be getting a bit rootsy and, and, and doing a lot of that. Well, <laughs> I've been well, drinking beer on street corners. Out of bowls. <laughs> out, out of, of bowls. bowls. <laughs> You're the guy I see lurking. Ah, That's me. That's me. Wow. Well, well, I, that image that has just been created is, is a little scary. But, but the bottom line is you want to preserve that culture. You I, want I to preserve that culture. And, and of course, naturally, like, you know, I mean, uh, you know, a few, a few people have sort of gone back to these places. And, and so as a result, it's also now <clears throat> become a bit hipster. Yeah. You know, it's authentic, it's, it's local, it's rootsy, so that's, uh, you know, it's, uh, but I, I, yes, I, I, it's something I would totally recommend. I mean, very famously, uh, Anthony Bourdain went to one of these places uh, in, over in Java Road, uh, and he, he went to the, the Tung Po uh, seafood restaurant, which he put on a show, and, and, you know, but, you know, there are, there are dozens and dozens of cooked food centers that are like every bit as good as that one, if yeah. not kind of better. So he put that one on the map. He put that one on the map. But the good news is, it's a pretty big map. So yeah, you got yeah, other yeah exactly. So yeah. And the one thing I can tell you about Hong Kong, which is so well laid out in terms of the MTR, mm. the subway system here. Yes, yes. You can get just about anywhere you need to go. Yeah. It, well, I mean, the subway is great, but but 
I don't do the subway, darling. Oh, excuse yeah. me. What do you do? <laughs> it's, uh, as Hong Kongers, it's our birthright to have extremely cheap taxis. So, I mean, this is what the flag fall for a taxi here is, uh, you know, two US dollars or something like that. So if, you're, if you've come from somewhere long haul, you're, you're going to find taxis here above. Oh, sure. But if you're coming in from the airport, take the train. The train's a piece of cake. It's yes, it's a beautiful train. I, I know, and you I want agree. to take the taxi. I agree. Okay. No, I agree. I agree. Okay, you'll give me that one. <laughs> I agree. All right, but where else do you go? Well, recently I've been. Uh, I just got a puppy. <laughs> I, got, I have a six-month-old puppy. It's a Tonggao, which is a Chinese breed. It means Tang Dynasty dog, and it's uh, it's the breed from which the Sharpe uh, and the Chow dogs were kind of bred from. Um, and so we've been doing a lot of hiking. Then I haven't, I haven't done that for years, right? But getting a dog has made me get out there, and, and that's actually really underscored to me just how much good walking there is here. If you can get your nose out of the clubs and the bars, yes. and if you can just look up at these green hills, there's so much good walking. And, and nobody knows it. And nobody knows it, and it is so accessible from the city. I mean, within minutes you can be out of the urban jungle and in this forested upland sure. going through and you know so i've been doing a lot of that well okay can i impress you i used to hike around big wave bay beautiful see and nobody and the the cool thing about it is you don't know it exists till you actually Ugh. get there and then as you start walking around the only way to get to the beach you got to go around a prison yes this right? is true it's true right yeah yeah and then you get to the beach you go how'd this get here i love the name i mean anyone who's into surfing from around the world will know will know how rubbish our surf is when we have a band that's called true Big Wave that's bay. true <laughs> yeah you get there you go where are the waves not a lot of waves but but the cool thing is not a lot of people either when you get no. there it, the beach is not crowded that's right so i've been doing uh, yeah Okay. Walking in Hong Kong is kind of amazing, and I've been doing a lot of it recently. What's the one place that you would recommend people to go to? To walk in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, it's, it's called the Tai Po Kao Nature Reserve. And I'd actually have never been there myself until a few months ago. And why that's special Being is, a local, you know. Right. It. It's in the northwestern New Territories, and it's, uh, it is a, a wooded preserve uh, that is like, it's like a kind of, it's like fern garden. We have clearance, Clarence. Roger, Roger. What's our vector, Victor? Now I radio clearance over. That's clearance over. Over. Roger. Huh? My next guest knows a lot about this hotel. In fact, you know, you might think that the, the general manager runs it. Nah, he runs it because uh, he's the director of engineering here. Without him, guess what? Hotel doesn't run. But most importantly, uh, it's a matter of defining the word sustainable in green, and he knows that because his name is Harvey Wong. Hi, Harvey. Hi, hello. So what can a hotel do uh, other than lip service, right? You know, we, we call that greenwashing, if you will. Um, you know, I, we all see the cards on the bed saying, you know, here, you know, let's all be friends if we don't wash your towel. But what initiatives are you doing here that go above and beyond that? Okay, first of all, I think uh, sustainability uh, means a lot uh, in a hotel. Not only we we try to save energy or we try to reduce carbon emission, but the uh, corporate social responsibility programs is also very very important. As I grew up in Hong Kong, and I'm so passionate about Hong Kong, so I think running a successful business in Hong Kong at the same time, if we can do something, uh, good to the society, which sure. I I think is incredible. I mean. You know, if you take a look at the words Hong Kong, it means fragrant harbor. Yes. And sometimes the harbor gets pretty fragrant. <laughs> yes. So 
forgetting that, what can you specifically do in the hotel? Okay, uh, first of all, uh, we, we divide it into different parts. First is the energy saving, which we have a lot of energy improvement projects. A lot of LED. LED, and we have uh, we install heat pumps, which is a very efficient uh, unit to, to provide hot water and, and cold water at the same time. And also we commission we commissioning our chiller pan, which consume twenty five percent of the total electricity. So basically, we strategically uh, try to do things that we can s- achieve the best saving. And then, of course, you've got waste management. Yes. Uh, well, we are pretty proud of our waste management because we basically we recycle everything. You you name it. Uh, recycling, cooking oil, plastic bag, shopping bag, uh, uh, papers, etc., etc. Even though uh, our food waste will send to will send to um, uh, local organic farm as fertilizer, and also we also recycle uh, re, um, cooking oil as biodiesel. So we do a lot of things. Uh, and where does the biodiesel go? Somebody else takes it. Uh, the biodiesel, actually, uh, there is a, a certified in- industry that can sure. convert this cooking oil to biodiesel, and then they will use it in an industrial building. Well, but about what, about 20% of the garbage that you create, you're recycling? Yes, yes, because, uh, well, one thing a business, uh, a hotel business, we do create a lot of waste, but I think if we can think about what we can recycle, then the 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 landfill uh, in Hong Kong yeah, will be reduced. Actually, landfill uh, problem is a, is a big problem it's, it's in Hong huge, Kong. Yes, it's huge, yes, because you don't have any more of it. That's the No, sure. we don't, we don't. Hey, let's talk about the bees. Yes. You got bees going on here. Yeah, uh, two years ago, um, our managing director, Mr. Rebell, said, oh, why, why? We, we have a great rooftop, which is uh, uh, it's not allowed for public access, but- uh, We can use it. We can use it. If you are continuing on to another Southwest destination, please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information. If you are continuing on with another airline, we really don't care. I am a passenger. Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. As I do every week at this time, I encourage you to go to our website, petergreenberg.com, for our comprehensive list of all the aid and relief organizations doing all that hard work all around the world. Most recently, of course, in Nepal. And let me make a uh, a comment about that, uh, check out opusa.org. That stands for Operation USA. Uh, they have been in Nepal since 1985 doing great relief work there, and boy, do they need it now. They need all your help now. The death toll probably topping out a little bit uh, above 2,000 people in the most recent earthquake, and it's not something that's going to just be fixed quickly, uh, but the OpUSA guys are already on the ground. So go to their website, opusa.org, 
or get in touch with us at petergreenberg.com so we can help you to help them at a time when people really need it the most. And of course, that comprehensive list includes all the different ways that you can get involved when you when you travel in terms of a volunteer basis anywhere in the world. If you've got kids over the age of 12, guess what? They get to bring you for a life-changing experience. And what you get back from what you give back is exponential in return. We always like to localize the volunteerism experience wherever we happen to travel, and Hong Kong is no exception. There's a group here called Hands on Hong Kong. It's a charity dedicated to community-based volunteerism, and each week they got about 10 different opportunities for people like you to assist those all around Hong Kong. Anything you can do in terms of poverty, children, education, elderly, disabled, immigrants, environment, you name it, even animal welfare opportunities abound. You don't have to like volunteer three months of your time. You can book in an afternoon or a day on either end of your trip. It's a great idea. For more information, go right to their website, handsonhongkong.org, or, of course, our website, petergreenberg.com. Our next guest, I think I can call him an expat. Uh, he's been here for 10 years, journalist, founder of hongrong.com. We'll talk about that, and the Hong Kong Free Press. Tom Grundy, how are you? Not bad. Thank you for having me. You got it. So, you know, what's interesting is, and people are always asking me this question, uh, whether it's Tahrir Square in, in, in Cairo or here in Hong Kong, you know, when you see street protests, when you see the umbrella movement, as, you, as you've seen it, uh, people, oh, is it safe to go to, is it safe? And I always say, yeah, it is. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's something that is, is happening in many cities around the world as, as uh, people get on social media to discuss something that, 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 that's bothering them, that they think they can, they, can, they can rally and motivate to change. And it shouldn't stop you from traveling to those locations. In fact, it becomes almost part of the travel experience. It brought tourists here, and it was called the politest protest in the world. You had uh, thousands of young people who were recycling. They, they, were, um, they wouldn't let each other play music because they, they didn't want to be criticized for it being a party. Um, they but what was, brought them together in the first place? Uh, well, it's a pro-democracy protest, arguably a 30-year pro-democracy movement, which uh, exploded last summer. But Hong Kong has a very rich tradition of protest, hundreds a year. So, you know, you could probably visit Hong Kong at any time and there'd be something going on at the weekend. But they tend to be cookie-cutter protests. You know, they all seem to um, act in the same way, going from one point to another point. Whereas the umbrella protests, um, they were obviously quite different. And, you know, it got a lot of visibility, got a lot of press still going on. And yet it doesn't it shouldn't stop people from visiting this location. Not at all. Um, and you can go and speak to uh, people. There's over 100 tents down by the legislature um, who are still holding vigil there. I mean, it could kick off again at any other minute because, uh, as we've seen recently, the government is, is not budging on this issue. And it's a, it's going to be voted upon in June. Um, so when the anniversary comes down uh, in September, um, people may gather again, we'll see. But um, even covering it on the very front lines, and even when there was uh, tear gas, which um, really sort of galvanized the protests, because it's very rare that you'll have that kind of response, sure. th there is always ample opportunity to remove yourself from the situation. It's very rare, you know, we, that, that uh, it gets to that level. I know, but interestingly enough, it, it got the visibility that got people to come. Yeah, in fact, in the first week, most people were down there as a response to the tear gas. If you asked anybody, it wasn't particularly the politics. They'd seen the scenes on TV. 
uh, with the students, and, and they were there to protest that. So how is life for you here in 10 years in Hong Kong? Because you've seen a lot of the change. Yeah, I suppose so. And well, I guess a lot of that change has come in post-colonial Hong Kong. People talk about how everything has changed and nothing has changed. But suddenly, you know, I, I have to tell you, in 1997, in this hotel, mm. I was on the roof of this hotel watching right across the harbor here, the Britannia sail in, the actual flag lowered. Prince Charles and Chris Patton were here. Uh, it was pouring rain. Mm. Uh, it, was, it was a huge thunderstorm. And in fact, I was then working for NBC in the middle of it. An NBC cameraman was hit by lightning on the roof of, of, of this hotel, which is another four seasons. <laughs> Nothing happened to the guy. Can you believe that? And the minute the flag was lowered, the rain stopped. And the Britannia limped out of the harbor because it was an old ship. And the handover was complete. And everyone's wanting to know, okay, what's going to happen now? Well, funnily enough, Chris Patton, the last governor, gets a hero's welcome sometimes when he comes back. And you sometimes see a lot of the colonial flags at protests. It's considered a red, red flag to a bull with regards to Beijing. It wouldn't be allowed in the mainland. And some folks are nostalgic about that time because they've... They feel there has been a, a slow erosion of civil liberties, um, as well as rising pollution and you know, rising buildings over the last few years. But uh, I, I think I've seen as well since 05 when I came over that um, it's become tougher to protest in certain places. And under the leadership of, of CY Leung, certainly now, you see a lot of counter-protests, pro-government protests, which is quite new. So people are a bit uh, cynical about the future, I would say. Um, the approval ratings for Beijing and the current leader are at all-time low. And uh, that agreement at handover for 50 years of autonomy, you know, it expires in 2047. So, so uh, people are having that debate as to whether we're going to be blended into the mainland, you know, in, in, in three sure. decades or if its autonomy will be extended. Well, it would seem to me that the autonomy works well for China, economically at least, because they can have a double standard. Mm. Um, although the Chinese on the mainland now are more capitalist than, 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 than Americans. Oh, yeah. I mean, so let's not kid ourselves. But you, you said the word we, so I'm assuming you're staying. Yeah, I got permanent residency this year and, and, and this is home. Um, no matter what happens, I suppose. Um, but I, I find it very interesting. So um, I'll be sticking around, and this summer I'll be launching, I think, a much-needed free English online uh, news source, I suppose similar to your Huffington Post. Called? Uh, Hong Kong Free Press, and we'll be crowdfunding uh, very shortly. No, you're just crowdfunding on the radio right now. <laughs> yeah. Why not? Uh, what's the one thing you'd like to see changed here in Hong Kong overnight, if you could? I don't... Oh, well, aside from the pollution, that's yeah. obviously got worse. But um, I think like a lot of people, we would just like to see that Hong Kong values, uh, the things like freedom of speech that make it what it is, the things that differentiate it uh, from the mainland to be maintained. Yes, young people, sometimes they just talk about, I want to be able to have Facebook or whatever, and they'll have these analogies. But uh, I do think it is under threat. Certainly over the last 10 years, its relevance in the world, let alone to China, has, has declined. But it was always seen as a showcase to Taiwan, another troublesome territory as far as China is concerned. But uh, it's turning out to be somewhat of a warning to, to tai Taiwan, if you will. About what happens if there's any kind of reconciliation? What, with, with tai Taiwan yeah. and the mainland? Yeah. Um, I think there is probably less chance of that happening than, than Hong Kong being somehow blended into the Pearl River Delta region. You see already transport links, political links, uh, economic links with the Shanghai Stock Exchange. Sort of on all fronts, there, there is sort of a slow, uh, not so much erosion, I suppose, of Hong Kong, but integration 
uh, into the mainland, and, and that raises some eyebrows among Hong Kongers who are who we don't have full democracy here, but we're used to our kind of democratic institutions and our freedoms. Well, do you think that people have finally got their arms around the idea that they're no longer a British colony? Um, even young people who uh, can't even remember or weren't born in that time, as I say, will will wield the colonial flag. And there is a very small So they're minority. thinking back to a time they can't even remember. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. And of course, you know, then there was probably less democracy. And, you know, you, you were under a foreign government on the other side of the world. They, they, there were a couple of efforts, I think, way back in the 50s um, to, to bring more in terms of universal suffrage here. And Chris Patton, on his way out, you know, tried to um, instill more sort of a democratic uh, functions in, in the legislature, but otherwise there was never any intention for one person, one vote. And that's not going to change right now? Um, I think not. Beijing is, is, is pretty much in control, and it's got a very convoluted system where we even have corporate votes uh, in Hong Kong. Corporations, some of which, like the, the Metro, the MTR, are mostly owned by the government, so the government is voting for itself. And yet the private sector still runs the show in terms of the economy, because, I mean, this is a vibrant economy here. It's the freest economy in the world, and nobody really wants to uh, rock that boat. Um, so there are very few restrictions on trade or employment. There you go. Keep that going. This is Flight 372 on SWA. The flight attendants on board serving you today. Teresa in the middle, David in the back. My name is David, and I'm here to tell you that. Shortly after takeoff, first things first, there's soft drinks and coffee to quench your thirst. But if you want another kind of drink, then just holler. Alcoholic beverages will be $4. If a monster energy drink is your plan, that'll be $3, and you get the whole can. We won't take your cash. You got to pay with plastic. If you have a coupon, our, uh, our next guest... Uh, an old buddy of mine who's the chief concierge here, a member of Clay Door, which most people don't know what that means, at the Intercontinental in Hong Kong. Louis Belleros, how are you? Fine. Yourself? Good. You know, when I first came to this hotel, uh, I was told uh, by Mike Matthews, who was then the, the head marketing guy for Regent, he said that when they designed the hotel, they wanted to make sure that the dragons could pass through, right? The legendary dragons could pass through all into the water to bathe. That's correct. And so it was all about feng shui. Yes. And that's still the case. That is still very much. This is a tradition that the Chinese follow for prosperity, for good luck, you know, for harmony. But we're talking about the nine dragons of Kowloon. Yes. As you know, Kowloon is, um, if you translate Kowloon Chinese, it's actually called nine dragon. And the saying goes that there are actually nine dragons that comes down from the hill every day, you know, to roam around uh, Hong Kong. To roam around. And, okay. Right. And normally when they see our driveway coming up, it's a pathway to show them where to go. You know, the way we plant our trees coming up, step by step, elevated up, you know, it's, it's, it's all about good feng shui and guiding the um, dragons towards the hotel. Then the designer had to put a fountain in front, and that fountain actually, uh, when it shoots up, it's in a in an angle you can see it's like a, a pearl, and that's where the dragon will follow. They want to play with the pearl. Then they come through majestically through our glass door, and that's why you have such a long glass door into the lobby. You know, and uh, as he, before he goes out. He's going to stop by our um, uh, reception counter because it's an island in the middle of nowhere, right in the, in the center of the lobby, to deposit some good wealth, some good fortune, 
before he goes out through the glass door to the harbor. Now he's not buying any. He's not buying any of the gifts. But shop. he's no. depositing depositing some good <laughs> luck and fortune. <laughs> and but you know we we can sit here and laugh about it, but it's serious stuff. It is serious stuff. Uh, we here at Intercontinental believe in feng shui a lot. No harm done. You know, even if we have to do a renovation, before we do you a renovation... You bring somebody and you bring in a feng shui master to say, yes. is this a good idea? Yes. Is, no, the feng shui master will have to look and see what the That's plans what I'm saying. are. Is it a good idea? And yeah. what he should put there to keep our good feng shui going. Because <laughs> the last thing you ever want to do is, is anger the dragons. Uh, yes, or bring bad luck. <laughs> Either way, it's not a good idea. No, definitely not. <laughs> Riding along in my automobile My baby beside me at the wheel Cruising and playing the radio With no particular place to go This segment of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by Greater Fort Lauderdale. Visit sunny.org for more information and say hello to Sunny. Let's do one of these emails right now from Karen O'Donnell who writes, Peter, is there anywhere that you haven't been that you'd still like to travel to? Well, the answer is of course. Um, if you go by the United Nations, uh, numbers are about 198 sovereign countries in the world. I may be off by one. I've been to about 151 of them. That leaves me another 47 to go, and I may never, ever get to them. But you know what? The answer to your question is there are at least 47. And of the other 151, I'd go back to each one of them in a heartbeat because you always learn something, and you always figure out a way to meet new people and establish common ground, and that's the beauty of travel. So uh, how's that for a very pie-in-the-sky, kumbaya kind of answer? But it's, it's the truth. I get mad at people who have lists. You know, I'll come back from a trip. They'll say, oh, where'd you come back from? And I'll tell them, oh, that's not on my list. Really? Who publishes that list? Forget it. The only list you should have was every place you've never been to and then get going. Don't forget, passports last 10 years. You have no excuse. There you go. Now, my next guest, speaking of 10 years, has exceeded that mark. In the hotel business, you know, if you're a general manager for more than three years, you've, you've figured out a secret, especially if it's in a place like Hong Kong, because most hotel general managers find themselves being rotated out it's like bad military assignments. But my next guest is, uh, has, I think he's now in his 11th year here. And as the, as the managing director of the Intercontinental and a good pal, Jean-Jacques Rebel. Jean-Jacques, nice to see you again. I mean, did I get it right, 11 years? You got it right. You got it right. I mean, I don't know what the secret is, but I won't tell anybody if you want to still stay. Well, I think it's happiness. Uh, be happy on what you do every day and love what you do every day. I think that's a key. I mean, the history of this hotel, I mean, I came to this hotel in 1980 when it opened, literally for the first time as a regent. Then it uh, transformed into a Four Seasons, and then it, it became part of the Intercontinental uh, Group about, what, 11, 12 years ago. Um, and uh, the good news is, I mean, and I hope you take this as a compliment, it hasn't changed, meaning... It's still got the, the same great view. You know, you still come in here and you put your eyes up against the window and you're transfixed against the harbor view because it, that is just something. I have to tell you what I do when I come here. You, you, you're going to laugh at me, but I like to get up early in the morning. And But there's another reason. I get up early in the morning, like 5 in the morning, 
And then by 5.30, quarter six, I'm looking out the window because I know there's going to be a ship coming by, that cruise ship that comes in from Shanghai, the ferry, right? Yeah. Every day. I mean, I time it that way. And then you start to see the city wake up and, and the star ferry start to move and the tugboats. And it's a never-ending, beautiful panorama, isn't it? It's very magic, very magic. What about the hotel has changed? Yeah, the hotel has changed. I mean, you know, we took the hotel, uh, like you said, 12, 13 years ago, and we have changed the, uh, probably uh, the most impact on the hotel was the change of the uh, food and beverage operations. We, we have Alain Ducasse. We have Alain Ducasse. We have Nobu. Right. And now we have three restaurants with uh, Michelin star, you know, which is uh, which is hard. a great because, achievement. Well, that's unbelievable. Difficult. Absolutely. So the restaurants are? Yantohin, the Chinese restaurant, two-star Michelin. We have the... Uh, By the way, that restaurant, I, this is how far back I go. They serve you, unless they ha unless I have change, on the jade. Yes, they do. You serve it with... It's jade silverware. I mean, it's jade service, I'm yeah, saying. Yeah. This yeah. is, yeah. And we kept it. You know, we yeah. renovated the restaurant two years ago. And we wanted to kept, you know, part of the tradition, part of the, of the culture. And we kept the jade. We kept the jade. We changed the menu. We have the same chef. Chef has been here for 25 years. Change the menu. Keep the jade. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, it has been very successful. And we have two Michelin star there. That's amazing. Uh, amazing. 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 And the steakhouse. One Michelin star, best steakhouse in Hong Kong, where we can. For a steakhouse, I have to say this: for a steakhouse to have a Michelin star is unheard of. I mean, Absolutely. I, 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 can anybody name another steakhouse that has a Michelin star? I can't. Yeah. I, I'm sure there may be one, but I don't know it. Yeah. You know, well, you know, steak. The steakhouse is rather simple. Normally, it's, it's meat and, and salads and bars. But what we have done, we we are uh, we have selected uh, you know a few countries, and we're serving meat from Argentina, from America, from, from Brazil, Wagyu. from Australia. Right, yeah. From Japan, and you know we. What's have the most expensive steak on the menu? The Kobe, Kobe uh, is, is the most expensive. You know, and it's, it's done by the ounce. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. my God. It's, it's, but it's, you know people love it, and 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 we have that, and we have a spoon by Anne Ducasse. Yeah. Uh, you know, and 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 we're very proud of it. We're very proud of all these uh, food and beverage outlets. What's the biggest surprise to you over the last 11 years? The surprise, I think, is, is, is uh, to see that you, you know, more than ever, and I lived in many cities around the world, that Hong Kong, you need to always reinvent yourself. You, you know, people are a bit impatient if you do not change, you know, your menu, your concept. And it's a rather fashionable city where, you know, fashion, yes, but as well in the food and beverage environments when you need to constantly, you know, reassess what you're doing, look at the competition and, and do something better if you want to keep the customer. But they're very impatient. And, and what's interesting about Hong Kong is when you think about the concept of hotel restaurant, usually it's an afterthought. Usually you might get somebody to eat at your, at your hotel restaurant once in a stay only because they had nowhere else to go. You're getting local traffic here. I mean, people are coming here because of the restaurants, which is changing the way hotels do business. Yeah. Well, 65% of our clients come from uh, local clientele. You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast on the new location somewhere around the world. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. 
Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.